million people watching Dreamforce over the internet, not all of them are their customers. And I think he understood that you don't need them to become customers in order to be evangelists. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and I focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. Here we go. Welcome back to the Flip My Funnel podcast. My name is James Carberry, and I'm joined as always by the one, the only Sangram Vajray. Sangram, how are you, my man? Hey, man, we're ready here with another series. I feel like, you know, reading these and doing it in series has been tremendously interesting for, for us, obviously, but also for a lot of people to follow along. And this is a book uh, that I've heard you talk about. I mean, we've been doing this show for over a year now, and I've heard you talk about and reference this book several times. So I'm really excited to to dive into this four-part series on on talking about several different components of, of your biggest takeaways from Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff. So I would love to to dive into this first this first part of the series. What was your kind of big idea for this episode, Singer? Yeah. So you're for first for people who may not know, like Mark Benioff, I mean you might be living under the rock if you don't know this. But Mark Benioff is the uh-huh. And now the co-CEO of Salesforce since 1990, I think nine, and is one of the most gigantic companies, one of the fastest growing company. I think one of the very early companies to reach 10 billion at the speed of a rocket wow. ship. I had a great fortune of working at Salesforce for a couple of years after the acquisition of Pardot. So I kind of saw some of the things behind the scenes, made me even a bigger fan of Mark Benioff and, and the machine that he created called Salesforce. So some of this is like, you know, I, I think I felt, I feel now that I think as if I've lived through it mm-hmm. in, in one of ways. And his, yeah. one of the ones that we are going to talk about in this one is, is, is a quote from his book, which is one idea alone is a tactic, but if executed in a number of different ways, it becomes a great strategy. And oh. I think he has used that quote in the book a few times, but also in, in his conversations, you know, I, I still remember, James, that, you know, as part of his Dreamforce conference, he would have a lot of his leadership team and he would run through his conversation, his overall messaging. He would, in, in a way, without seeing those exact words, would always hone in into like, okay, great, you're going to do that. But then how does that fit into this bigger strategy? How do you, how, he is always trying to connect the dots and, and trying to turn this into a strategy as opposed to tactic. Mm. So how did that end up fleshing itself out? Well, I mean, you know, some of the one of the things that's I think very well known uh, by most people is that Salesforce created Dreamforce, which is uh, about 150,000 people attend that conference now at Moscone. I think they have a 20 year lease at the Moscone centers and Marriott. They pretty much own the town for that week, you know, and there are like millions of people watch it. And this is again a B2B software, right? Like imagine he's, he's selling software and there are over a million people watching it. So, the ecosystem he created around this is crazy. And, and a lot of people now don't even go to Salesforce, uh, to Dreamforce to go in the conference. They actually go just to meet people, the partners, yeah. the customers, the future customers, the relationships, the nonprofit support that that he kind of got around it. So his his idea really in the early, early, early times was the very first company, I think, to really do 
a conference that opened up to future customers, not just existing kind of user conference. They were the first one to actually make it a public event to showcase their products with customers and future customers and really invite in media into it and show. I think he, he shared in, in, in the book, like in, in some of them to show that, hey, you need to get away from Siebel or Oracle and all of these things. He had like people in cages saying that you must be feeling like you're in cages. So he was a, he is a showman, right, in, in many ways. So he literally made people think about challenging the status quo in such a big way. But he used this idea of a public event for launching products in front of the customers and future customers, a really big deal. And, and not just one, but he just went on doing every year. And, and so when he says, you know, one idea alone is a tactic would the one idea in this case be, you know, hey, we could we could do a conference for our customers, but instead he said, hey, we're going to execute this conference in a number of different ways. So we're not, it's not just going to be for, for users, it's going to be for future customers as well. We're going to do crazy outlandish stuff that's going to get people talking. We're going to talk about partnerships with nonprofits. Is that what you think he meant there by this concept of one idea alone is a tactic, but if executed in a number of different ways, it becomes a great strategy? Well, I mean, in, in parts for sure, James, uh, I think what he also kind of executed that he turned this, okay, well, we are really good at executing events. So he broke that event and said, you know what, we're going to continue to do this yearly conference called Dreamforce in San Francisco that will just become the hallmark, the cornerstone of industry conference. For, for the entire ecosystem. But then he broke it off and said, since we're so good at events and building people, bringing people together, why not go to different places and, and do a smaller version of it? Salesforce started Salesforce World Tour and they are, they have, I think they do like 30 or so different cities. And I've been to one of them in New York. There are like 3,000 people at wow. that and it's free. So think about this. He said, you have to pay like a thousand bucks to be at sale, Dreamforce Conference or 3,000 or something like that. But then he he took that and turned it into a Salesforce World Tour, which is free and it looks exactly at, at the same epic scale of amazing things, as you said, outlandish, of great food, great sessions and all that stuff. And I think what it does is kind of aligns with our uh, one of our podcast episodes, which was about forcing functions. Well, mm. what does that mean? You, you know, that tactic of an event turning to strategy because they're launching a product that's a mandatory thing. So it got people and the product teams together to do it. It had to have customer stories. So that created customer case studies, uh, customer testimonials, customer evangelism panels, all these conversations now, not only at Dreamforce, but also in this local region. So that kind of got the local for customers and future customers together in Boston, in in Netherlands, in, in Europe, in Canada. Like he just brought them, they cannot come to them. He will go to them. So he turned that one tactic of an event into this incredible community-first mindset-oriented world tour that literally gave local companies incredible insights and advantage to be there that, mm-hmm. that may or may not afford going to, to, the, to the big conference. I love that. So you mentioned something in what you just said, Sangram, that I thought was really insightful. You said that this world tour really showcases his community first mindset. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh man, it is by far one of the greatest, I think, gifts that Mark Benioff had created. And we're going to talk more about a lot of his V2 mom and 111 philanthropic model that he created from day one as they landed and created the company. 
So we're going to talk about that in a lot more episodes. But the, the point being, the 150,000 or whatever, or million people watching Dreamforce over the internet, not all of them are their customers. And I think he understood that you don't need them to become customers in order to be evangelists. And that's something that you and I talk about, you know, a lot, which is yeah. you, we, we all can build tribes when we all believe in something and we all believe that we are part of a movement. And he literally was one of the first, I believe, in B2B to really get people to come around and say, you know what? No software, right? Like mm-hmm. we need to go and create something that's in the cloud. He pioneered the whole for whatever $50 billion industry. Yeah. And then on top of that, he really created this mindset that this is community first. Now, you think about if you are in the Salesforce ecosystem, force.com is a really critical platform where thousands and thousands of developers are coming in, creating APIs and creating code on it. And they're making it very much open source for people to, to do what they need to do on it. So he's creating now this, this whole idea of starting with creating a CRM only for sales to marketers, to developers, to, mm-hmm. to partners, to the entire ecosystem. The, the only reason he could do that, I feel, or Salesforce as a company could do that is because they had this idea of community first, which allowed them to see what does the community want to do. And they, they I remember even, even being at Salesforce, James, that the feedback from the conference was taken so seriously about, oh, we didn't have this or we didn't create something for SMB. So the next, very next year, they, they created a whole lounge experience for SMB because people felt like, well, you're talking about these big companies and the partnership with Apple and the Red Cross. But what about this agency that is a mom and pop shop that's trying to do something? So so literally next year I saw they, they took over, I think Marriott Markey, that building over there, and they turned that into a full lounge for SMB. And it was it was just phenomenal to see how quickly they took that one pain point and turned that into now, did they have to do that? I don't know, but they, given that they did that, I guarantee that so many more people knew that they had a home going into that building as opposed to getting mm-hmm. lost into this big ecosystem of the Dreamforce area. Yeah, the concept of kind of community first and then allowing what you learn from your community to then shape the products and services that you bring to market. I think it it just makes so much sense to me. It's it's you know, but it's it's not necessarily easy to execute. There's a part of me that says, why isn't everybody doing this? Why isn't everybody doing what you did before last year's you know, massive Flip My Funnel event? You guys did a ton of micro events all over the place. We've done, we've done a ton of micro events. You know, our, our B2B growth dinners that we've done were really modeled closely after seeing what you guys did with your Flip My Funnel events and the benefits that both of our organizations have seen by really taking that approach of community first, but it's tough to pull, pull off and you've got to, you know, apart from having dedicated resources to figuring out the logistics for that, it's not something that comes easily, but man, it, the results that come from it are incredibly tangible. Is, is there anything else, Singram, around this idea that you wanted to talk about? Uh, any particular kind of any challenge that you have for the listener? Well, a few things that uh, that come to mind as we as we wrap this up, James. One is I, I think you hit on something really important, and I want I want to make sure it doesn't get lost. Is we all are not going to be great at a million different things, and I think mm-hmm. that's where most companies fail. They want to be oh, look at how Salesforce is doing events. Let's go do that. 
oh, let, or let's look at how maybe Drift is doing a podcast. Let's look, you know, let's create a podcast for it. Or let's look at, you know, maybe Pulse, who's doing, you know, trying to build a category on customer success with Gainsight. Whatever it might be, I think we all are drawn to these incredible things. But I feel like the takeaway from this, hopefully it's not go do events. The, mm. the takeaway from this is that find that one thing that separates you from the rest. And whatever that is, don't look at that as a tactic. Think about it as a strategy, which means that if, if, if this turns out to be, if, if, if event for Salesforce, for example, if that was an events team job and Mark Benioff himself would not have been excited about it and he didn't make it a company priority, it wouldn't have been successful. It would have become a departmental priority. And we all know what happens when a departmental priority comes up. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be done by that department. They need to forget. No, no, no. It is a company priority. So he took it out of the department and turned that into a company. So, for example, let me ask you a question. Do you know the CMO of Salesforce? I do not. And and that's the point. It's And I'm sure there is somebody right now who's a CMO. But the reality is Mark Benioff is the CMO of Salesforce. Steve Jobs was the CMO of Apple. And mm-hmm. The point of all of that is these people understood that brand and taking something as small as an event that people would just put to an events person, that that could actually be your greatest strength and strategy. They turn that into that. So whatever that is for somebody, it might be events. So just go look at, buy this book and turn and look at the playbook of how to run an event successfully. But then maybe for you, could be podcast or maybe for somebody could be content and really be the Moz whiteboard like you know Rand Fishkin did the yeah. Friday whiteboard series and that became the thing where Moz really got a lot of their their authenticity and and the Moz followers uh, as they call it all that stuff really ends up being like who you are truly authentic self identify what is that one thing that sets you different and apart from everybody else and man double down triple down like 10 quadruple down, whatever the number after that comes up, like just do that because that one idea, if that remained a departmental priority, it will always remain a tactic. But if you can make it a company priority, that's when it becomes a strategy. And that's the challenge for for you to figure out that. I love that. that. That makes so much sense. Instead of keeping it siloed inside of a department, making it an entire company initiative, which means you're you're repeating it at all of your all hands. You're you're talking about it, and you're having your leaders talk about it, and their one on ones. You're talking about it in leadership. You're it's it's not siloed to to just being a departmental thing. That 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 makes a lot of sense, Sangram. Next week, we're actually going to be talking about this book again. The idea for next week's episode is going to be the importance of focusing on the 20% that makes 80% of the difference. I'm really excited to dive into to that with you next week, Sangram. Anything else before, before we shut this one down today? Well, find your one thing and, and just focus on that one thing. That will make all the difference. It's a great lead in into the next week's topic of what could that 20% be. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.